There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more. So when they needed us, we could fight the battles that they never could. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. Welcome to Now Playing Podcast Review of The Marvels. Higher, further, faster. Part of Now Playing's Avengers and Marvel Comics movie series. The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Us Mightiest Heroes. Hosted by Arnie. Grandiose. Jacob. Prodigal child of the Milky Way. And Stuart. What's your code name? Oh, I don't have a code name. <laughs> we'll workshop it. At NowPlayingPodcast.com, you can find reviews that span the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. Just don't know when to give up, do we? I can do this all day. But be warned, this episode will contain detailed plot spoilers and mildly objectionable language. And guru. Whoa, language! Listener discretion is advised. Gentlemen, you're up. We hope you enjoy the show. Showtime, a-holes! Today we're discussing The Marvels, starring Brie Larson, Tayona Paris, Iman Vellani, Zawe Ashton, Gary Lewis, Park Seo Joon, and Samuel L. Jackson, directed by Nia DaCosta. This is Arnie, co-host of Now Playing, entangled with my two co-hosts. Yep, this is Stuart. And this is your co-host, Jacob. <laughs> hey, this is your co-host, Jacob, for those that aren't bilingual. Yeah, I'm hoping you're bilingual. I don't want to have to sing to you this whole show. <laughs> Although that might be fun. Who knows? This is all about fun, right? The Marvels is the most giddy MCU effort I've seen in quite some time. So why is everyone so angry at it? Because it stars women's. Yeah, it's back to Marvel one more time. How excited were you guys for the return of Brie Larson? I mean, you say people are angry at this movie. I feel like people have been angry at Brie Larson since Captain Marvel back in 2019. Nobody liked her attitude during that movie. Nobody liked what she did in Endgame. Everybody was saying she was overpowered. Brie Larson may have made some missteps during some press conferences where she didn't come off the way she possibly could have. And yeah, I don't know that people have clung on to this character the way they did, say, Captain America or Thor. Didn't Captain Marvel make a billion dollars? Wasn't that a billion dollar movie? Like, I know there was a ton of backlash, but I feel like if you make a movie that made a billion dollars, the sequels shouldn't have, like, production stories like we're going to discuss with this one. Like, just do that again. You made a billion dollars. Someone liked it. No, it's interesting. Sometimes that happens. I'm Think about the Matthew Broderick Godzilla movie. Also made huge money in every Everyone hated it. How do you make another one? Well, they ended up not. They ended up rebooting it. And I feel like that's kind of the choice here. We don't trust Brie Larson to carry the movie herself. 
So we'll give her some support and we'll diversify. We'll give her characters that are easy to love and hopefully that will soften any brittle edges. Brittle is kind of the word I would land on that. Although in rewatching the movie a couple weeks ago, I would say that she does have a sense of humor. There is a playfulness to her Captain Marvel, but yes, perhaps it's just overclouded by Brie Larson uh, giving press conferences. I disagree. I think it's barely there. I rewatched Captain Marvel for the first time in many years. I think it's kind of telling that I rewatch Marvel movies quite a bit, but Captain Marvel is not one of them. I'm glad I rewatched it. There's a lot I forgot. And while there is humor in that movie, I don't think Brie gets a lot of time to play. And Brie is a good comedic actress. I think she can play light, and I feel like she was hampered by a script that didn't let her do a whole lot. There's one scene where she's fighting literally with her hands tied that's kind of some physical comedy, but she doesn't tell any jokes. She's not really in a lighthearted role. She's playing straight man to Sam Jackson. I mean, I think Sam Jackson has the more fun there. But I, they have good chemistry together. My memory was that she was brittle on screen, and I don't see that. I feel like she she's maybe not as sarcastic as, uh, you know, Tony Stark, but maybe like uh, Captain America. Doesn't always get the joke that she's in. But I don't know. It, it wasn't as grueling a watch as, as my memory had it. And I feel like it was a decent enough time. I thought that movie was okay. But I think we all reacted when this trailer, this first trailer came out. And it's slapstick. We're swapping bodies, falling on the ground, yucking it up. It felt like a, a real left turn from the vibe of the first one. Like, now we're just going with Three Stooges? <laughs> Freaky Friday was my reference. Yeah, I feel like we talked about the trailer with some previous Marvel films, bringing in the Beastie Boys and really trying to fun it up. I mean, they're done with Guardians of the Galaxy with Volume 3. This is their next great hope, I think, to capture that audience, capture that vibe. And I would say that, that if your idea of Marvel comedy is Guardians of the Galaxy, Captain Marvel didn't have any of that. They're going to try and insert that into this movie. And again, I think that's part of why they're giving her the 16-year-old fangirl and trying to just make it more playful, more youthful. But you mentioned before that there were seven loose ends to tie up, that Feige or somebody was saying, we have seven storylines that are going to be addressed with this sequel. I tried to count them. So did I. <laughs> Yeah, there might be more than seven, frankly. There's a lot. It's like spaghetti trying to follow all the strands here. Is that a Flash reference? <laughs> I did list them out, and I could only find five before I saw the movie. And after I saw the movie, I found six and seven. But Captain Marvel, Avengers Endgame, WandaVision, Ms. Marvel the TV show, and Secret Invasion were the ones explicitly listed plus a little bit from Spider-Man Far From Home following up on that space station end credit scene. And now that I've seen it, and we've given the spoiler alert, the Hawkeye TV series is number seven. <laughs> and Last Stand. I mean, the, the real shocker is they go back to Brian Singer. <laughs> well, that's a big spoiler. I can't wait to talk about that. Yeah, I gasped. I literally gasped when I saw that. I couldn't believe it. Everyone in the theater gasped. <laughs> yeah, technically not Brian Singer. I don't know that Brian Singer ever directed Kelsey Grammer. That was Brett Ratner. So yeah, there's a lot of Marvel ties here for those who feel like you can't miss an installment. 
I don't know that they follow up on any of it very well. Like, Secret Invasion, I don't think we'll be bringing that up once during this review unless we're just like, where did Sam Jackson's wife go? Because she's notably absent from this movie. <laughs> I mean, there's crease scroll things happening. It was as I predicted. Uh, they're mopping that up here. Yeah, that piece that the Kree wanted. Yeah, if you're expecting to see a long digression about how these two warring factions will iron it out, it's mostly all done. They have of their own world. Well, if you're expecting a long digression about anything, you're not watching the right movie because the Marvels is coming in, I believe the shortest Marvel movie ever at one hour and 45 minutes. That is really short for a Marvel movie. You're not going to get a whole lot of time to pause on anything. No, and you, you wipe out 10 or 15 minutes just to credits and all the digital artists that need to have their names scrolled across the screen. I'll, I'll tell you what, 90 to 100 minute Marvel film, like that gets me excited. Like no matter what I thought about Captain Marvel, how goofy this trailer looked, my investment time is only 100 minutes. I'm great for that. No more two and a half hour Marvel films where we've seen that story a hundred times over and over over the last decade. Yeah, give me a 90-minute 90s-style superhero film. Like, I'm already, like, my expectations have been reset. I'm open to that. Me too. I just want to have a good time. And it looked like a fun trailer, and it looked breezy. Comedies can only go for so long. You know, a two-hour comedy is hard to maintain. And so, yeah, I had heard some negative things coming in, but I'm like, all I want to do is have fun. I don't know. I feel like the best Marvel movies are the long ones, the ones that have lots of characters. The Avengers movies, right? Like the Avengers, Iron Man, Winter Soldier. All early in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like we know these stories now. Like they, they really got to come up with something new if they want to justify two and a half hours or it needs to be an Avengers film. Yeah, but Infinity War and Endgame are still somewhat recent and those are still a couple of the best entries in the entire MCU plus some of the top grossing. Yeah, other than Ultron, all the Avengers are, are what you want, right? And then sometimes you get just like a side meal. I'm just going to eat the side dish. I'll just have the salad and get... Yeah, one character in a movie is what it feels like. They're coming up with a title for that. They're going to have a new thing. They're starting, I believe, with the Echo TV series called Marvel Spotlight. And that means you're not worried about the big entangled MCU. We're going to focus on one character or one small corner of the universe. And then there's just going to be Marvel regular, which is the more tied together universe. Yeah, I don't know that I want to spotlight on Echo, but... Yes, I agree that it it's just in terms of feasibility, given the cast, given the ambitions that they've had in creating this universe, in order to go forward, we can't expect to see 300 major characters in every film that we get. And this one feels smaller. Is that a problem for me? Am I excited about this? Captain Marvel was a shruggable film. And yeah, that trailer, frankly, looked awful. It looked like a mess. <laughs> I couldn't, for the life of me, figure out what the plot was and I, what are the stakes. You know, like, that's all they really needed to tell me. Like, what are they going to be fighting? What are they going to be doing? I had a theory. This thing was so short. I thought maybe they cut Kang out of it. That because they're having so much trouble with behind the scenes, the, the Kang character, they just cut a whole storyline. I'm not sure that's true. 
but they couldn't have wanted to make a 90-minute movie, right? This had to start out with bigger ambitions that got pared down as this movie's release dates changed and films that were supposed to come after came before and things got changed. Yeah, I read that Park Seo Joon, who is in this movie for maybe five minutes of dancing, shot for two months. So there's gotta be some stuff that was cut with him because you don't shoot for two months for a five minute dance scene and you don't bring in one of the biggest South Korean stars just for that role. Yeah, it feels like there should be a big Bollywood number in this. I thought we were gearing up for that and then it just kind of peters out. Like that that's so much of this film. Like, yeah, they filmed a lot and then they cut a lot. And then they filmed more stuff again and probably cut a lot of that too. <laughs> they don't have the flexibility. It just should just be acknowledged. They can't just be themselves. They are tied to that bigger universe. Even if the spotlight is only on these marvels, they have to be in congruence with whatever else the universe is doing. And because there have been so many changes and kerfuffles, whatever we want to call it, hiccups, I think that it has led to this movie being reduced. Yeah, this was supposed to come out in July of 2022, then November of 2022, then February of 2023, then July of 2023. Yes, this has had like six official release dates said by Marvel. They were doing reshoots in July 2022, and then finally we're getting this movie in November 2023. And Director Nia DaCosta had to walk away. She said that the changing release dates and everything made it so that she wasn't able to stick with this during post-production. She was contractually obligated to move to another film, and she was supposed to be done with this film by 2022, and come 2023, she has to go off to France to shoot a new movie. So, I remember that was... Something that a recent Variety article said people were raising eyebrows about that a director didn't stick with a Marvel movie until it was finally released. Yeah, I saw a lot of criticism about that. She had a, you know, probably a film she actually cared more about with Tessa Thompson. He's going to show up for a second. So add another sequel. I guess this is a the Thor Love and Thunder sequel as well. But mm -hmm. you know what? These directors don't matter with these Marvel films. Like, yeah, people have tried to criticize her. I'm like, she did maybe a couple days work here. Most of the big action scenes, they bring on directors that know how to do that second unit director. So these don't need a real directors. Oh, but they love to tout them out. Yeah, no, it's clout for them. This is the first black woman director to ever do a Marvel movie. This is probably the biggest budget movie ever done by a black woman director. No. That's what I read. Yeah, this one costs $275 million to make. Oh, well that might be true. Yes, that's <laughs> way over budget. <laughs> I thought this was like 150. No, this is a very expensive movie, and the box office is proving a little bit more dismal according to projections. It may be the first Marvel movie to not hit its budget in at least domestic release. Well, that I was predicting. If these people are tired and they look tired and you're telling me that all the changing release dates and the extended shooting that the director ended up walking away without finishing the film, I'm wondering about the audience as well, right? We're all a little fatigued. We've talked for years about superhero fatigue. Marvel has yet to create a sizzle reel as exciting as Endgame about where they're going post-Thanos and... Yeah, after so many films that have appeared to be without a clear direction, Kang was supposed to be it. Yeah, I'm wondering if this is just the breaking point for fans, that I know a Marvel fan in my family 
that's not going to go see it this Thanksgiving. Does not want to. Actively is against seeing it. It's funny because I have a lot of friends who are big Marvel fans and went to every Marvel movie. And post-COVID, they've been waiting for Disney Plus these days. They're like, I don't need to see that. And then by the time it gets to Disney Plus, I think they have some apathy setting in. They haven't even seen a couple of the more recent ones. Yeah. The Empire is crumbling. I mean, you can feel it. Like the, the must-see synergy that they had about five or six years ago is largely gone. And if this is a 90-minute lightweight non-event i hear you guys saying i'm excited for that for for what it can offer in terms of a different experience but what that means for the box office is probably a non-event as well i did my part for the box office i went and saw this movie twice i went on thursday night for the 6 p.m premiere at amc imax and if i may digress for a moment amc has finally jumped the shark on its popcorn buckets you know they do those special popcorn buckets for event movies what shape was it this time (laughs) it was a fleur kitten egg And it was blind packaged. You don't know which of five Fleur kittens you're getting inside the egg. Is there an actual, like, kitten inside? It's a kitten. I guess it's a drink container. The kitten? You drink the kitten? Like, you dig through your popcorn in this egg and you get to a drink container shaped like a kitten? (laughs) That's weird. No, like, when you open it, you take the drink container out of the egg, fill the egg with the popcorn, fill your (laughs) soda with the kitten, and then... Mm. There's a Chase Gold one. We're talking a $40 egg, and it dares to say on it, collect them all. If you were lucky enough to not get a repeat egg, you're spending $200 on popcorn buckets. This is ridiculous. Okay, have you gone eBay to pick up your variants? <laughs> this is stupid. And they're Fleur Kitten eggs. I mean, that's not even a big part of it, and it kind of spoiled a little bit of the movie. It's the whole climax of this film. How are you talking about? It is yeah. the movie. Yeah, that is the movie, Arnie. This movie is about cat memes. Kittens eating people. Yeah. It spoiled a little bit of the movie because when they find a Fleur kitten egg, they're all like, what is this? I'm like, well, I know because I was just at the concession stand. <laughs> but... Not a huge audience at the IMAX. This did have a lot of IMAX formatted scenes, as all Marvel movies do, so it utilized the full frame available to them on IMAX. Sound was great. I didn't hear Taylor Swift coming in through the walls or anything. (laughs) And then I went and saw this again the next night, a 7 p.m. showing in... 3D. I didn't mean to buy a 3D ticket. They still do 3D showings? They do. I didn't even pay attention enough to realize I was getting a 3D ticket. I knew I was on the Super DLX screen for this one. It was 3D, and as I think we always say with these post-conversion jobs, there's a couple of scenes that look good, but by and large, I forgot this was 3D for much of it. Like, the opening scene looks good. There's a scene of Captain Marvel floating in space during the climax where it's just her against a starfield that looked good. But by and large, the 3D was a non-entity in this movie. But I did see it twice. And when I went with Marjorie on Friday night, she did turn to me. We've gone to every Marvel movie together opening weekend since Iron Man. Every single one. And she turned to me and said, this is the smallest audience I've ever seen for a Marvel movie opening. I counted there were 14 tickets sold in this theater that seats 220 people. And of those 14, I think like four no-showed. <laughs> yeah, I saw it at IMAX 3D. That's kind of what I attributed why it was a low turnout. It was Thursday at 
four o'clock. So already, and then you add that 3D price, unless you're on the AMC membership. Stubbs, A-list. Yeah, yeah, that A-list thing is going to make it the same price as any other ticket. But yeah, most people aren't going to want to pay $25 to see this film. And yeah, there were only about 20 people in my theater. Well, three for three, I guess. I went to buy my tickets a couple hours before the show Thursday night. I was the first one pre-ordering tickets. I had my pick of seats. When the movie finally started, there was maybe 20, 30 people there. And Arnie, you saw this twice. I wish I saw it twice. I did not expect that I would have to see a 90-minute film twice to understand it. I wished I did, but that's more of the review. But yeah, I definitely am going to be looking at you for some answers. Yeah, you get the fun job of the plot. Yeah, I walked out of this the first time, and I'm like, you know, in this movie, the people have their powers entangled. I think this thing has its plot entangled. How do I write a plot <laughs> summary for this? I was seriously daunted, and I'm not very happy with what I came up with. I wish this wasn't weekend of release, and I had a little bit more time to refine it, because, oh man, this film. It is a reflection of this film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I believe so. I mean, I can only summarize a plot as cleanly as the movie's plot is. As much as they give it to you. Mm. This might be more entertaining than the film. Arnie, give it to us. <laughs> 30 years ago, after the events of the first Captain Marvel film, Captain Marvel herself, Carol Danvers, played by Brie Larson, destroyed the artificial intelligence that ruled the Kree people. This results in a Kree civil war that depleted their planet Hala of resources, and now the Kree are on the verge of extinction. The Kree have turned to their new leader, Dar Ben, played by Zawe Ashton, to save them. Darben has recovered a quantum band, a wrist bangle that was used to create all the cosmic jump points in the galaxy. She plans to use this to create jump points that will steal the air, water, and sun from other planets and restore the Kree homeworld to health. However, while using the quantum band, Darben creates a cosmic anomaly that is simultaneously found by both Carol and astronaut Monica Rambeau, played by Tayona Paris. Monica, if you don't remember, and I don't blame you because it's been many years, was in the WandaVision TV series where she got superpowers that are generally ill-defined, but she can phase through matter, shoot energy from her hands, her eyes turn glowy, and she can fly. When Monica and Carol touch the anomaly, it causes their powers to become entangled. Whenever they use their powers at the same time, they swap places, even if it's across galaxies. But it's not just those two involved in the swapping. Also entangled is teenaged Kamala Khan, known as Ms. Marvel, played by Iman Vellani. Kamala has a quantum band that is the pair of Darbens, and she was wearing the bangle when Carol and Monica touched the anomaly, and now they're also switching places with Kamala. The three Marvels get together in person at Kamala's parents' house in Jersey City. In a meeting hosted by Nick Fury, played by Samuel L. Jackson, the three go to the planet Tarnax, where one of the last remaining Skrull colonies is living. Darben is there to steal that planet's air. The Marvels help some of the Skrulls escape the planet before it's uninhabitable. Carol then realizes the next planet Darben is going to target is a water-covered world of Aladna, a planet where Carol has married the prince. The Marvels travel there to try and stop Darben, but they are unsuccessful. Darben's final plot is to steal Earth's sun to restore sun to Hala. She opens a jump point, which disrupts the Saber space station, causing Nick Fury and all aboard to evacuate to Earth. The three Marvels fight Darben, but fail to stop her, and Darben steals Kamala's quantum band. With both quantum bands, Darben opens a massive rift in time and space, but dies in the process. 
Monica is able to use her powers to close the rift in space, but in doing so, she's trapped on the other side, where she's picked up by the X-Men. Meanwhile, Carol realizes her powers are enough to restart Hala's son, so she flies to Hala, fixes their son, saving their planet. She then decides to move into Monica's old house in Louisiana, for reasons. And Ms. Marvel is inspired to start a super team of young Avengers approaching Kate Bishop, played by Haley Steinfeld, to join the team as credits roll. Yeah, I understood about a third of that. Let's see if we can do better <laughs> going through the movie beat by beat. I mean, there's just a lot of techno babble in this. It makes a standard Star Trek episode look intelligible. The amount of time they're talking about space anomalies, space entanglements, electromagnetic powers. I mean, this is a lot of technobabble. There's a one scene where they say what the Sabre Space Station stands for. On two viewings, I couldn't write that down fast enough, but it is just a lot of technical words strung together meaninglessly. Yeah, I mean, they're not expecting their audience to be taking notes, but at some point when they said entanglement for the 17th time, I'm like, sure, whatever, it's entanglement. That's why they're jumping around into bodies. Okay, moving on. Like, that is my attitude through so much of this film, because it's cut, or its pace is such that it's never going to slow down to explain anything. Yeah, I think that when you say something like technobabble, to me, that is a savvy put over something you don't want people to look at. We don't want to explain the whys and hows. So just go with the idea that this is body swapping and a big slumber party is kind of how it comes off in the end. But we're now playing. We must pick at the nits. So I'll start with a question. Have we been to MB418 before? I was trying to figure out this moon. Is this the Dark Elves world or something (laughs) from Thor 2? As far as I know, MB418 is brand new to us. And yes, this is where we are introduced to Darben and she is doing a archaeological expedition. Her planet is dying. And so her entire plan is to scour the galaxy to find a magical bracelet and she just so happens to be lucky enough to find it somewhere in the galaxy digging up this moon. But we've seen this bangle before. It's been on Earth. There were two of them back in Ms. Marvel. I wish I could have had time to rewatch Ms. Marvel. She only had one during that series. Mm, I thought there was two. They were looking for two. There was two, but she never had both of them. They were lost in time. No, no, no. I'm pretty sure, and I agree, this is where we got to collectively, do you remember <laughs> the scene that went by fleetingly? I'm pretty sure that the woman that went on to be the grandmother... Like, had one bangle and took one bangle and gave the other to a group. And one group had one bangle and and she had the other. No, you couldn't let the gins get the bangle. That'd be bad. That was the whole point of that series, I think. No. Well, all right. Obviously, we don't remember. And that's really sad because we watched that series, oh, about three months ago. And I watched it twice. My understanding is they were both on Earth, so I was very confused as to why we were at this moon, who had removed it. I guess it's something that will be smoothed out later, much later, and I should not care. That's what I'm taking, our lack of ability to close this loop to me. Yeah, I kind of just laugh that we're on random moon, digging in a random spot, and we're finding the thing we need to find. Why do they know to look here? Who cares? Moving on. Like, do we know anything about Darben by the end of this film? I know very little. We are really doing a throwback 
back to phase one Marvel villains here with Darben. She is a typical Marvel villain, meaning not very well defined. I feel like through flashbacks, we kind of get her arc. We can go through it now. She was a Kree soldier 30 years earlier. And when Captain Marvel came to destroy the Supreme Intelligence, she pulled a ceiling down on Darban so that Darban now has a personal grudge as well as a planetary grudge. Captain Marvel destroyed the Supreme Intelligence, who looked pretty comic accurate from what I remember from the comics. Jack Kirby smiley face is what it looked like to me. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And so she destroyed the Supreme Intelligence, which caused a Kree civil war, which depleted the planet's resources. Darben was some kind of leader during this. She becomes the Kree leader, unifying them, ending the civil war by promising to restore the planet. Yeah, but we didn't see any of that civil war. Yeah, none of this is ever shown or explained. Yeah, none of that is <laughs> has been in other Marvel or, or anything like that. She's showing up on a random planet and pulling a bracelet out of rubble and saying, aha, now I got to get the other one. That's what is being established here. Yeah, I get that she wants to heal her planet. That's pretty obvious. She is not a true evil villain. She's someone that cares about her people and blames Captain Marvel for their fall. But I do feel like a lot of the stuff that got cut to get this down to 100 minutes, it's got to be Darben stuff. Like, she comes in and out of this film. Like, I pieced a lot of stuff together after the movie because I knew I was going to have to talk about this on a podcast. But if I was just a regular moviegoer, I would have just gone, I don't know what happened and, like, never thought about this again. But, yeah, I'm able to piece her story together, but it's that's not an effective way way to like have to figure things out afterwards for a movie especially a popcorn film but if they cut a lot of her stuff i don't want to see it i agree it's probably not interesting yeah i'm glad they cut it down i don't want to see a whole lot more of her going around and stealing planetary air and things you're saying that because you don't enjoy her performance or because you want this movie to remain real short it's not that i don't enjoy the actress's performance i think she portrays the character well I think this character is very thin, and we spent quite a bit of time with the Dark Elves in Thor The Dark World, and it didn't make me like them any better either. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, I think she's fine in terms of, I mean, is she any better or worse than Ronan? She kind of has the same hammer as Ronan. She wears the headpiece that Ronan had. Yeah, Ronan wasn't a good villain. You don't want to be the same as Ronan. Ronan was better, though. Ronan seemed more imposing. Ronan was standing up to Thanos. Ronan was a true bad guy. We start with Ronan executing somebody for pseudo-political religious reasons. I felt like Ronan was evil, whereas, as you said, Stuart, here, Darben has reasons for what she's doing that are somewhat sympathetic, I suppose. I mean, we're supposed to not like the Kree after the first Captain Marvel movie, but I guess we're not wanting them to go extinct either and have their entire planet destroyed. Although, it is said that at one point the Kree occupied 25% of the known galaxy. So couldn't they just go to one of those other planets that they occupied and not really worry so much about Hala? Don't you remember Secret Invasion? Planetary real estate is very limited. Nick Fury hasn't been able to find a planet for the scrolls in 30 years, so who knows? It's because the Kree took them all. Yeah, we'll get <laughs> a little bit more into her later, but I get enough. I hear what you're saying. She's not complicated. She's not interesting. She's not the point, right? The point is not, and rarely is in a Marvel movie, about spending time with a villain. 
on. Let's see what Fury and the girls are doing. Like, it's not long before we jump from there to Jersey City and we have Kamala, which, God help you if you haven't watched Ms. Marvel. I We talked about not covering that series. I can't imagine what the experience of watching this movie would be had I not orientated to who she was and her whole fanfic world here. And yet a lot of people skipped it. It was the lowest rated Marvel series. So good luck. Then again, this is... The- maybe the lowest grossing Marvel movie. Yeah, they're going to try to fill you in. They're going to do that whole doodles coming to life thing that she did in that first episode of that series. They're they're going to try. I mean, they got it. If this is a sequel to like seven, eight, nine, ten different movies, they got to know they got to fill in backstory for some of these characters, especially Kamala and Monica. Yeah, all you need to know is that she lives at home. She is a superhero because she wears a bangle and it's the other half of what our villain is looking for. And then she blows back into a closet for reasons and we jump back in time to the real star of this movie carol danvers is trying to prune her memories uh using some kind of torture device yeah she had her memories wiped by the Cree, and she's going to say later on she still doesn't have all of them back and so she's using the scroll torture device which is what the scroll used to steal your memories so that they can know how to impersonate your personality and call your children by their right names she's using this to try to recover her lost memories this is something mentioned glossed over not important i don't know what carol's lost memories really hamper her during this movie nor do i see her get any memories back during this movie well i wondered if it wasn't something else yeah she says that she's trying to recover memories but she's really a character not unlike Nick Fury in Secret Invasion, that is morose and trapped in guilt. We will find out that she didn't return to Earth because she feels bad about not completing a mission in space. So we get the first tease of what she did. We don't know that she destroyed the Kree civilization. We just get this quick flash of her arriving at Hala and causing an explosion. So we didn't see her destroy that AI. You guys re- recently rewatched Captain Marvel. I thought, wasn't that the no. end of that film? She destroy- She no. doesn't destroy the AI? No. So this is totally off screen, not in a movie. Her whole central conceit like that she's trying to go through to reconcile that she perhaps caused the civil war on Kree. Like none of that's in the film. It's funny because the end of the first movie, she sends back Jude Law to Hala and says, tell the Supreme Intelligence I'm coming for it. Well, that sounds like it could be an entire sequel in itself. And here we find out, no, she just went there like five minutes later and destroyed it really easily. Wow, this is even more baffling. I thought this was the end of Captain Marvel. Obviously, I don't remember that movie very well, but I I would just assume she defeated the big bad thing in that movie. But wow, I thought that was all recap for stuff I was supposed to remember. We don't know. That's the thing. That's been the big tease for, I would say, it's why you don't remember the end of the movie and all it is. What she's been doing in space, what Fury has been doing in space, has largely been unknown to the viewer until Secret Invasion in this movie. And this is the movie that's going to explain those are two guilt-ridden people that feel bad about what they did and didn't accomplish. And yeah, that she's racked with guilt is what I really see her wrestling with here. And then she's called into a mission. Fury wants her to go investigate this power surge caused by the villain poking a hole in time and space. Although, I understand why Darben pokes the holes she does in time and space 
in the future. I don't understand why she opened a jump point here at MB418. Maybe she was just testing the bangle to see if it worked, but it took me my second viewing, because during my first viewing, I'm like, wait, why did she cause this space anomaly to begin with? But it's... Yeah, here on MB418 when she does that. Aren't those jump points just how, like, their light travel, how they get around really fast? I thought maybe she was just leaving and had to open a jump point to get out of there. Yeah, but they're supposed to close when you're done, and she's leaving the door open is what she's doing, and creating new jump points. They describe it as space fracking, and if there's too many jump points, then there's going to be earthquakes in space. I got that, and that's where I turned off my mind at the end of that techno babble. Too many is a bad thing, so I don't care why, I don't care how I'm moving on. It's bad to have too many. I'll just offer this. I think I heard that the Bengals actually created these wormholes. Yes. That whoever invented this whole system had both Bengals at one time, and thus if you get them together with that hammer which is called the ultimate weapon, that trifecta is kind of like Thanos' glove or something like that. It will have unholy amounts of power. Yeah, it's more magic jewelry. I don't think the hammer was part of the jump point creation. It was just these quantum bands, according to Cree legend. So we're not even sure if this is true. We're given this as a possibility. <laughs> yeah, I thought the hammer poked the hole, but what do I know? Anyway, the point is we got a hole and it's both in the character's emotional space and literally into space. We are going to bring together Carol and Monica who haven't talked to each other since Monica was a little girl. And Monica is now a grown woman doing a spacewalk and not too happy to know that she's got to talk to Auntie Carol. Yeah, of the three Marvels, I feel like Monica Rambeau is the one that gets the least in this movie or the one I care about the least in this movie. First of all, her origin, she was a little girl who was in 10 minutes of Captain Marvel, not very much. WandaVision, I felt like this character was shoehorned in and giving her powers for reasons just to set her up for this movie. And here... Yeah, her feelings of abandonment by Carol and her being distraught that her mother died while she was gone in the blip. I don't know that we get a lot of emotional resolution for Monica. I don't know that she does a whole lot in this movie, which is disappointing because we're going to have three stars. I want each of them to work as an ensemble and Monica feels like the lesser. Yeah, if Darben had stuff cut, for sure Monica did. I feel like, again, maybe test audience were like, this is boring, all this girl-on-girl, girl, talking about their feelings, reconciling. I've never found girl-on-girl girl to be boring. <laughs> well, different girl-on-girl. Girl. This is Disney. <laughs> it's not that girl-on-girl. Girl. I actually think it is that girl-on-girl, girl, and I think that's why it got cut. You think there's lesbian stuff in this? I, yeah, I absolutely believe that Carol and Maria had a relationship, and that if Monica were missing her mom, we would understand that pain a lot more than my aunt you know like my aunt just doesn't have the resonance of one mom died of cancer and my other mom said i'll be right back and didn't yeah i i agree it felt like that was implied in the first movie but they didn't really want to go there they imply it here too that she'll kiss tessa thompson but not on the lips and you know they tried to play that those valkyries were into women but they just don't want to do it and it means emotionally these things don't track 
Well, they did it for the Eternals. Yeah, and I guess they got blowback for that. I mean, again, there are lessons Disney has learned. They did it for 0.2 seconds in Lightyear, and people lost their minds, so. Yeah, people get really mad. You can say it's not a big deal, it doesn't bother me, but it bothers some people, and it means incredible campaigns against your film that maybe Disney wanted to avoid. Maybe test audiences complained about. I don't know, but yes, the relationship... The true relationship feels excised, and that's too bad, because I think it is understandable once you just use the word lesbian. (laughs) Yeah, and here, though, I feel like they veer away from that. We are going to talk about it, but Carol is married to a guy. I feel like they pulled way back from that implication from that first movie, but maybe they kind of hedged that, too. We'll get there. Yeah, it's not a marriage out of love. It's a marriage out of convenience. I believe Carol is a lesbian. I mean, I'll just stand by that. I believe the character makes sense and is drawn in that way. But here, yeah, we have this, as you said, this is happening earlier than when we saw Kamala, because it says earlier that day, and just simultaneously, Monica's going to be investigating a space anomaly above Earth, While Carol is investigating that space anomaly at MB-418, they touch them at the same time, and that's when they all switch places, including Kamala, because she's wearing the band, I guess. The band glows, she gets sucked into a closet. It doesn't really make any sense for Kamala to be entangled in this way, except we want her in the movie. No techno babble, anyone with light powers gets entangled, which I don't know why Amelia Clark from Secret Invasion isn't involved in this. She has all those Carol Danver powers too. Light powers. I thought it was because it was a bangle created that hole, and she's wearing the other half of the bangle. Uh, you know, whatever. Sure. They say they're entangled because of light powers. Anyone with light powers gets entangled. <laughs> I mean, they don't know, is the is the truth of it. And, and we just need to go with the conceit, or not. I'll say sure, it's because she's wearing the bangle. What other explanation do I have? The movie can't really <laughs> give me one. Roll out. Mm-hmm. But we're only 20 minutes into the movie, I know we're 45 minutes into this conversation, but we're going to get our first big action scene, which usually comes around the 30-minute mark, so we can guess about 10 minutes was excised from the beginning here, as all three of these Marvels are switching places while fighting the Kree, and when they switch places, if they're touching something, it switches with them, so the Kree are going to be in Kamala's house, the Kree are going to be on the dropship on the way up to the Saber Station with Sam Jackson, and they're all on... MB-418 attacking Carol. I'll say this. When this scene finally kicks in, maybe because we get Ms. Marvel, one of the characters I liked most in those TV series, like I was looking forward to her the most in, in this film. We get a lot of that, a lot of comedy, sitcom comedy, as we can call it, like with her family. I love it. Like, is Captain Marvel pressuring you in any way as they're like going in and out to different areas? I don't know. I like this action scene. If this could have been the vibe of the film, like light and fluffy, I guess it is light and fluffy, but like this is fun. Like this is fun stuff. It's body swapping. They're going all over. Goose the cat is eating up Cree. Like, I really enjoy this action scene. It, it's not serious or dark or has a lot of weight, but it's fun. Yeah, I think it's just weighty enough. Like, you don't want it to feel completely meaningless and because you have to be tethered to it. Otherwise, it just becomes light and noise. And yes, what's interesting about this movie is a lot of the story you will not care about, but you may be charmed. I agree yes. that it's just kind <laughs> of charming to watch this 
never-ending twirling fight. I don't know how else to categorize it, but the, the fun of it is watching people spin in and out of places. The cat gets brought in and out, eating people, and then spitting them out in different places. A big feature of this movie that you better like is the gimmick that for the first half of the movie, you never know where they're going to pop up and who's standing where. It makes for a really kinetic fight. I like it too. I like the humor. The best part of this movie, much like the best part of Disney Plus series, is Ms. Marvel Kamala Khan. Kamala freaking out when Goose is eating some Kree. Kamala's family attacking the Kree. Kamala's dad grabs a mop and Kamala's brother grabs a lamp and they're trying to beat down a Kree while their house is being completely demolished and this body swapping again it's kind of roll out on why the Kree are on board the drop ship with Sam Jackson Sam Jackson gets one moment here he gets very little to do in this film but he does shoot a Kree point blank jewel style and then twirl the gun around his finger kind of like the Lone Ranger but I like that the cons are involved. Like, they're going to be maybe as much as Samuel Jackson in this movie. Kamala's parents are as well, like, running around doing hijinks. I don't know. I, it helps that there's a lot of Ms. Marvel stuff in this for me. Yeah, I, I surprisingly, I land on that as well. If you'll remember, I call Ms. Marvel one of the worst series they've ever tried. You didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, I really, I liked her. I, it should be said, I really liked the character. I thought the show was a shambles. The shambles has followed her to the big screen. <laughs> But uh, because they're higher production values, I think that's a big part of it. Because the action doesn't look as dismal as it did on Disney+, Plus, I think it's easier to have more fun. I guess I would put it this way. I'd be able to roll out more in Transformers movies if it didn't take the plot so self-seriously. If I could keep track of what was going on. Here, the cast is relatively small. And it's light enough that I don't care about the minutia. And it just becomes a very superficial sitcom in which, yes, people do spit takes as their daughter, you know, fights aliens in their living room. The one thing that I thought was a little ill-conceived on Carol's part is after this fight ends, Carol is trying to swap places with Kamala using her powers. Kamala doesn't come within a few seconds. So Carol decides to fly off into space and that's when she switches with Kamala, and we get this scene of Kamala plummeting to her death. Okay, if you guys could help sort out some of this techno babble, do they switch? They have to use their powers at the same time to switch, correct? It's not just if they use their powers, because at first I thought whenever one used their powers, they'd all switch, but then I saw people using their powers and not switch, and it gets very confusing, and I think later on, in like a juggling montage, we learn they have to use their powers at the same time? Correct. Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I, that was where I landed. I'm not 100% on anything in this movie. That's right, yes. By the end of the film, that was my understanding. But I land on the idea that they can use their powers, but if they all three have the same instinct to use their powers at the same time, that creates this glitch. If two of them do, any two use their power at the same time, they swap. And right. yeah, if all three do, then all three swap. And yeah, we're going to get this thing where Kamala is falling and Monica Rambeau has to save her. She can fly, but never has flown, technically, I guess. And so she's really bad at it and can't catch Kamala in plummeting down. This is, again, kind of comedic, kind of fun. It doesn't really have any sense of danger for Kamala. You know she's not going to splat on the ground. Yeah, no, this is all just like the writers sitting around the writer's room and just saying, what would be fun about watching 
this crew try to work with one another. And yes, the fact that Kamala can't fly is her shame, right? She's not as good as her idols because, you know, if you're a Marvel, you're supposed to have the same powers and she can't do that. It helps play into her whole insecurity. And she does end up saving herself. She creates a light, I don't know, ball around her, I guess, some kind of shield. Yes. Yeah. She turns light into physical manner. It crashes to the ground. But we'll see throughout the movie. Later, she'll have to, like, you know, politely beg some Krees to give her a spaceship because she gets left behind. She can't fly. And that is to her shame. All of this. Let's just be clear. Everything we're talking about is in service of a comedy. If you're not laughing and you're not having a good time, get up and leave now. (laughs) I'm having a good enough time, but I'm also not laughing out loud. You know, I'm smirking at times, mostly with Kamala Khan stuff when she's like freaking out because Carol Danvers was in her house, but because they're swapping places, she never got to meet Carol and that's her total idol. I do love when Carol's in the bedroom and looking around and seeing posters of herself and a Funko Pop of Captain Marvel and all of that. Just totally, you know, almost a shrine to Captain Marvel is Kamala's bedroom. Yes, and that's the fun of this. This is a the situational comedy of a fangirl that gets to meet her idol and then, of course, realizes she's not everything that she idolized her to be. I agree. The Monica Carroll stuff is a little less understandable, relatable, because they don't really explain what Auntie meant to her. And I don't know. I don't feel like Monica has a good bonding with Kamala. So maybe that's why, Arnie, you say you don't feel as connected to her, is that she doesn't have a natural fit with Kamala the way that Carol does. Yeah, it's almost a love triangle where Captain Marvel's the middle point and there is no connection between Kamala and Monica. You wonder if they might have tried, since so many of the scenes they cut back and flashback are of Monica as a little girl, as if there were moments where Monica tried to relate to Kamala at that age or being without a mother. I don't know. I could see what they were hoping. You throw it all in a bag and you shake it up and you hope, you know, it's it's like improv. You hope something funny comes out. You hope these relationships come out and they come out pretty messy. And so, yes, if you are wanting a clean story with good arcs and dramatic moments, I think that this is why this movie is going to get a lot of hate. It is the Marvel movie that feels the least driven by plot. If there is a plot, I guess it's Darbin, right? Darbin, help me out with this. Is she playing the scrolls or does she really want to bring them home to Hala? She has this one meeting. Yeah, this is where I feel like we got more cut scenes because at first I'm like, oh, this is the twist. She actually wants to help the scrolls, but then she's like, nah, I'm going to shoot a laser into the sky and I guess pull a space balls and take your oxygen away. Yeah, I don't know. On two viewings, I can't tell if she was being <laughs> legitimate with the scrolls because Captain Marvel is later on going to say this was a trap, but... Yet, when you see the scenes with Darben, it seems like she's being legitimate and saying the Skrulls will take their place in the Kree Empire. But by the same token, why does she have to steal Tarnax's air where the Skrulls are? Couldn't she steal another planet's air? She's like, we're going to let you into the Kree Empire by destroying this planet. So it's not really a great olive branch to give forward. You know, if we were being peaceful, we wouldn't steal your oxygen. I'm going to make a prediction. I don't know if this will ever come out to be true, but my guess is this was the first scene 
of the movie. A Kree begging the Skrulls to come back and help us rebuild our world that died. And then later, like 30 minutes later, she got the bangle and was like, oh, I don't need to work with Skrulls. That would be a clean explanation for why she suddenly is going to just rob this planet of air and not worry about those relationships. But the way that it comes off is because she sees Carol there, she thinks that the the scrolls are working with the Annihilator. That's the reputation of Captain Marvel, is that she annihilated Hala. And if you're going to associate with her, then I'm just going to screw this deal and suck out your air. And this is a slight tie to Secret Invasion. We did mention during that podcast that while there were a million scrolls on Earth, there was a colony out there of Emperor Droge, and here we're meeting Emperor Droge. That is his colony on Tarnax. So they had a little continuity there. His colony that's like the size of a suburban track development. There's like 30 of them when they finally get out of there. Because at first I'm like, oh, just send those million scrolls here. But this is like like five homes that they're living in. Oh, no, there's a lot of scrolls, and I think a lot die here. They only save maybe 30, but... Yeah, that's the important thing to realize. That's the thing that breaks Kamala's heart. I think part of her disillusionment with Captain Marvel is that Captain Marvel makes a very pragmatic decision into this battle. They're running around and... And Kamala's creating, like, light jewel slides and trying to get as many people as they can to the ship. But when they fill up the ship, and there's still, I would say, at least hundreds of people yet to get to an escape pod, they pull out. Captain Marvel says we have to save who we can, and that's a painful thing for a teenager to realize. Your hero leaves people to die. And this is where maybe the edits just cut into some of the emotion, because I got that vibe that Kamala feels disappointed. Like, aren't we supposed to save everyone? And they're like, ah, we can't save those people. A rock fell down. You're not going to see any bodies. Maybe that's why it doesn't feel to me like hundreds died, because you'll, you'll see something crumble, and then they'll just cut away, and Captain Marvel will look sad or something. But yeah, like, I understood like that's what's supposed to be going on in this scene. I just didn't feel it. I wanted to feel that disappointment more. I wanted to feel the emotion because this is so slim and just gets to the point. I understand a lot of things. I just never feel them. So they just leave you after you walk out of the theater. The stealing of the planetary resources really hurt this movie for me because first of all, I'm no physicist, but I don't believe sucking oxygen into space will then bring oxygen to another planet like you can direct it. Go watch Spaceballs, it works. Yeah, but at least they had a giant vacuum to put the oxygen in. This reminded me of whatever Transformers movie where they, like, opened a gate so they could bring Cybertron to Earth and, like, suck up all its resources. I'm like, is that what's going on here? Yeah, and if it's reminding you of Transformers, that can't be good. But it bothered me that, in this case, that they're taking the air into space and then we're going to cut to Hala and see everybody can take off their breathing masks and breathe freely because they've destroyed the planet. At Tarnax. So you don't like the logistics of that. That bothers you. Yeah, scientifically, it's going to get worse on the next planet. I mean, when they're going to steal a planet's water, I'm like, are the planets the same size? They say this planet's like 99% water. Are they going to flood Hala? Have they figured out the ratio that this is the planet that has the exact amount of water Hala needs? It really bothers me. 
when you say you have a drought, like I assume they're taking salt water and you don't want salt water. You got to be able to drink that. I don't know what Cree biology is. Maybe they could process salt water. Who knows? But yeah, how are you going to steal a sun? That's crazy. Are these real problems or are these like meme problems? No, these are real problems. These are pulling me out of the movie in the theater. Okay, because I feel like sometimes people like watch Titanic and like he could have fit on the door and he could have. It's fun to ridicule something, but in the moment you feel it and it doesn't bother you. You're literally in the theater with your arms folded going, wait a second, they're sucking out the air? Yes, that is literally me on both viewings. <laughs> yeah, if I felt the danger, maybe it'd come off different, but I, again, I've seen Spaceball, so that's all I'm thinking about is they're sucking off air, and that's a comedy where they make that funny. Yeah, I guess I feel like this movie had told me by this point not to get too caught up in the weeds, right? Like, it's just not slowing down, it's not explaining its science, and it's not about that. Like, again, when you deal with a comedy, you don't sit there and say he wouldn't have survived that pratfall. You laugh at the pratfall. So I'm not worried about this. I guess I thought I was invited to just ease back in my chair and not care about details. Except this is part of a cinematic universe that has at least a common backbone of tone, even if each individual limb may be a little bit different. And I'm not laughing. I mean, it's fun, but I don't see this as a slapstick comedy where I'm supposed to be knee-slapping. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, we'll get to it when we get to Waterworld in this film. But I'm like, oh, was Taika supposed to be directing this film? Because there are definite scenes where I'm like, this feels, uh, unfortunately, it feels a little bit more Love and Thunder than Ragnarok. But it definitely feels in that tone. When they're sucking resources, I don't know. To me, this is just silly. That Like, this is the, what we're supposed to be scared of. I'm not scared. That's why I'm, I'm memeing on it. Aren't He's legit angry. I'm memeing because it's just so silly. And the film, it's not selling itself as that silly of a comedy. Yeah, I kind of appreciate that. I guess what I'm saying is, for me, this feels like the right tone because it's not so silly that it's farce. You can still take the moments... Like, when these people are running, I'm wanting them to get to the ship. I don't just treat their deaths like it's another joke. But I'm not also crying about it either because they don't take that moment, Jacob, as you said, to process grief and sadness. It's really weird when Carol will finally be explaining why she didn't come back because it's like one of the few times that this movie feels more like Secret Invasion than some rom-com. And so, yes, would this movie be better if it slowed down and allowed more emotions to pour in here, I think it would be a more complete experience. I think it, we, I might be having more of the problems you guys are having if they did. I can appreciate what I'm being given because I'm not thinking about it too hard. It's light. It's featherweight. It's, it is to me a lot like a Guardians movie where you just, you appreciate absurdity and surrealism. I was thinking about Guardians a lot during this movie, but I also thought about Guardians a lot during Thor Ragnarok, and Ragnarok did it much better. You guys have a much higher opinion of Ragnarok than I do. I don't think Love and Thunder and Ragnarok, it's really the difference of a Jeff Goldblum is the only reason why Ragnarok is a little bit better than Love and Thunder to me. Jeff Goldblum beats Russell Crowe. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> I think that's easy math. But- we're not going to have a whole lot of time here. There is this dramatic moment because when 
Kamala was on the Kree ship. She saw a star chart. So this is where we're going to get the three entangle their minds using those torture devices of the Skrulls instead of just entangling their powers. This is where we see the flashback of Captain Marvel destroying the Kree, supernatural intelligence. We also see something that, again, the logistics kind of bother me. We see a memory of Carol. She did go back to Earth and see Maria while Maria was dying of cancer during the blip. So at some point before fighting Thanos, Captain Marvel came back and hung out with Maria while Monica was dead. Or ashed. Yeah. Yeah. And Maria actually says, you know, she wants Carol to take care of Goose. I guess Maria had been taking care of Goose. But she says, only until Monica comes back. I don't know why Maria would have any impression that the dusted people would ever come back. You know, even the Avengers didn't think that was possible until Ant-Man showed up. So it feels like there's a little bit of a continuity glitch there as to when exactly Maria died. I took that as wishful thinking. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, hopefulness. And they're going to end the movie on a similar vibe of, like, I'm not sure how you get someone back from an alternate reality, but that is why Carol moves back into that house. I'm going to live here until she comes back to take back her house. It's, yeah, wishful thinking, uh, magical thinking, whatever you want to call it, optimism. Living in a fantasy world, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we can frame that in negative or positive ways, but I take it to mean that Carol didn't stop thinking about Earth and her wife. God damn it, I'm going to keep saying it. This was a romantic relationship. This was not her best bud. It irritates me. Yeah, I know, but you got to take the movie on what it's going to give you and it will not confirm. It will deny. Yes. Don't ask, don't tell is still a policy <laughs> this Disney military has put into place. But that's the answer to it. That's the thing that makes it all make sense. This is her lover, and she came back to see her, and she died of cancer. And that grief mixed with the feeling that if she could just solve this whole Cree thing, kept her away from being a parent to Monica. But this tells them that Darban is going to Aladna. And Captain Marvel's going to say something that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. She's like, Darben is going after every world I care about. I didn't really get the impression Carol cared about Tarnax too much, but... Well, I think she cared about the scrolls, yes. maybe? Here's the thing. At first, they go to Alada. The way I took it was they're like, well, they got a drought, which means they need water. What planet has a lot of water? Later on, they'll say they're going after everyone that Carol cares about. But at first, I'm like, they just picked a random planet to get the water? Because, again, that's how they sell it in the film because there's this moment of darbin that she gets to look at carol when she blows into the palace right after or right before she kills the supreme intelligence and the ceiling falls on her that is why it is personal that is why I, yes we need water we could probably get it from lots of planets but if carol married some prince on a water planet we're gonna go after their water we're gonna go after the sun from the earth because Carol has a house on her. But she doesn't love this prince. They even say it was a political alliance. Like, there's nothing romantic where she cares about these singing people, it seems. Well, I guess don't know that backstory. I wait for Kamala to draw it in her fanfic. <laughs> she really seems to be into it much more than I am. I just appreciate that they're having a laugh at Disney, right? Like, this is a Disney princess scene that we get to see 
Brie Larson, who's kind of embarrassed. She's trying to hide with a jellyfish hat, but has to participate in a big musical number out of Beauty and the Beast. You say that they're poking fun at Disney. I disagree. Now you have officially Captain Marvel is a Disney princess. (laughs) She got the dress even. (laughs) Yeah, that dress she's in that has the big Captain Marvel star, but is bare-shouldered, I 100% expect that to be available as a doll at ShopDisney.com. 100%. (laughs) This is definitely toyetic for girls. At the same time, it is having a laugh. It's, It's being able to laugh at yourself. How about that? Disney laughing at what it makes its princesses do. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of musicals, but I do love like when you get an inappropriate music or dance number in a film or it just pops out of nowhere. I thought we were going to get a big Bollywood number. We got Kamala here. They did that in the series. Why not do it here? Make some extra bucks in India, yes, but yeah, this feels more like a Disney parody with just breaking out in song than really doing a big Bollywood number, which was a bummer. I wanted a big dance number. And I'll reiterate that, yeah, bringing Park in here, Brie Larson said in a featurette that she was starstruck because Park is the biggest star she's ever worked with. I mean, this guy is huge internationally. We may not know who he is. Who is he? Yeah, I, he had a bit part. He wasn't even one of the family members in Parasite, but he was in Parasite as the friend. And I don't know what, yeah, I guess I just, is he in a K-pop band? Is he in (laughs) musicals? Like, tell me. He's an actor, according to what I saw on Wiki. He's a dramatic actor. Okay. And he apparently, like I said, filmed for months on this. We get five minutes. I do want to give a shout out, though. Brie Larson can sing. And let's not forget, she was Envy Adams. I love her song in Scott Pilgrim. I like her version better than the actual band's version of that song because of her vocals. Is this her singing? Yeah, this is her singing. Huh. I thought for sure it was dubbed. No, I'm pretty sure this is her. She can sing. Yeah, I mean, I think that this is everyone having a laugh, right? This is, they would do this in a Guardians. I feel like it would be a Kevin Bacon footloose joke, but they would do this. <laughs> or for me, this is where I really felt like this is Taika. This is where, this is what he would be doing with the film. But uh, unfortunately, like, yeah, you get this. I don't know if Disney just shied away, if they wanted to cut down on the absurdity. It just ends up feeling more Love and Thunder than Ragnarok, where they get shy about a lot of that comedy. And, and they're trying to mix it in with other emotions where just go for a straight comedy. Is Love and Thunder a not recommend from you i forget i did not recommend it yeah okay all right i didn't like the. Sh- <laughs> we're really concerned about cancer and death and also just making jokes it, it never gelled for me the two storylines yeah and so i'm hearing you do like this musical number but it's not enough it's a nice surprise i just wish they committed more to it yeah okay fair enough and it sounds like they did in some cuts And then somebody said, we got to get this thing moving. And some people in the audience don't like this at all. And you can imagine that. You can imagine that this movie is going to be polarizing for those that care about the Thanos and the deep mythology and all the connections and all of that to have what's essentially a slumber party where everyone's going to put on makeup and have fun and sing songs. This is not what they're looking for. So everyone on this water planet dies, right? I mean, they're going to completely gloss over this. Darben is going to show up, open a wormhole that starts to steal the planet's water, and then they're going to send some missiles after Captain Marvel's ship, which, by the way, according to the Lego set, that's called the Hoopty. (laughs) 
Okay. <laughs> so they're chasing after the hoopty, and Kamala Khan hits the button to make them jump through space. We're never going to mention Aladna again. We're not going to see Aladna. We're going to see that Hala gets saved. And so that means Aladna is dead, right? Carol is a widow. You're spending more energy on this than I am. I'm not really thinking that. I think they left it ambiguous so that they can pick it up at some point and tell us. I really doubt that everyone here is dead. I'm just surprised we didn't get a post-credit comedy scene with them, I don't know, some fish-out-of-water joke or something. I didn't spend enough time in Aladna to really be, like you said, who cares about the prince or any of this stuff. It was just a musical number. It was just something to break up what they were doing. And by the way, what this scene tells to me is it worked. They had spent a lot of time playing Beastie Boys Intergalactic and jumping rope and juggling. Second Beastie Boys song in a Marvel movie this year alone. And they realized that they now know how to do the trick. They can all work in sync. They're working out their problems with one another emotionally and quantumly. And now, yes, in this fight, they are able to hop around and be very successful as a team. They only have to leave. What I heard Kamala say is, I have to get us out of here because I can't risk her getting my bangle. And that was possibly on the table. So they left this planet to fend for itself. Yeah, on two viewings, what I got is they were just outnumbered. Like, they couldn't fight all those ships. Never mind that Captain Marvel alone could probably take those missiles and throw them back. I mean, she did destroy a massive Thanos warship single-handedly in Endgame. I don't think Captain Marvel could ever be outpowered, even by all these ships shooting at them. But she seems to say that we can take this fight, whereas Monica and Kamala are both like, we've lost, we need to flee and go to this unnamed planet full of wheat and get out of there. Again, there had to be stuff cut here that would have helped this to make more sense. Maybe Valkyrie showed up there at the last minute too to take their refugees to New Asgard, like those scrolls. Why didn't you just ask Valkyrie to help the million scrolls on Earth? Valkyrie's been around. Isn't New Asgard on Earth? Yeah, it's like in Finland or something, isn't it? <laughs> they never say they're taking the scrolls to New Asgard. They just said that Valkyrie found them a new home. Oh, I just assume that's where they're going. <laughs> yeah, one and one equals two, Arnie. They're on yeah. Earth selling, yeah, Thor action figures. But <laughs> yes, so they've really been put back into danger because Earth is the next and last target as Hala is being rebuilt. They need a new sun. We've seen from the opening shot that their sun is all wobbly and gooey and looks like it's about to extinguish. And so now they're going for the sun. And we've focused on the Marvels, but there have been a lot of cutbacks to the Sabre space station where... For reasons I do not understand, Nick Fury has taken Kamala's father, mother, and brother up to the space station, and now we get a lot of comedy with them being on a space station. Kamala's father is trying to sell retirement plans to one of the workers on the station who's 308 years old. Is he a scroll? Is that what that means? He's not a human. <laughs> He's just an old alien that looks human. Okay. I mean, you're saying you don't understand, and then you say it's for comedic reasons. You understand. What I hear you saying is I'm choking on it. I'm choking on the idea that everything is tossed off as comedy. You know, it makes sense enough. Their house got blown up. Where are they going to be? Come with me to the space station. We can have some yucks. I, I got no problem with this. Yeah. Arnie, do you have a problem with it? It's, I hear you picking at it. I do have a problem because there's no motivation. They don't have a house. It's as motivated as a sitcom. Yeah. 
Yeah, their their house blew up. Come with me. I got a place. They're going to live on the space station. And where's the brother's wife? One of the big plot points of that TV series was the brother got married. I mean, I'm having problems. <laughs> these are not problems I have with this film. I got problems with the film, but not these ones. Yeah, you're not picking up on the cue, which is to let go of all that. Like, they're really telling you, don't worry, kick back and have fun. And I hear you saying, I care about these details, and I'm not having that much fun. I mean, to be fair, Arnie is the super Marvel fan, so it would make sense that, like, this continuity stuff for those hardcore Marvel fans, they might get caught up on that. So, valid perspective. And in any movie, including a comedy, I want motivation. I want reasons. And the Khan's house was not so destroyed that they couldn't stay in it. They had one floor... That was missing. <laughs> they could have walked around that hole in the bathroom. That huge hole. Come on. <laughs> that thing was about to collapse. You could give them a hotel room. You don't take them to your super secret space station. I think that they wanted to know more. The reason why they were there was they wanted to know more about Kamala. And it gives them an opportunity to find out what their daughter is doing and ultimately give her approval. There is sort of a heart moment where the mom finally says, this is your calling and we know from this point forward, there's going to be no more curfews and you can't go out and stop crime at night. They finally, by going here, they accept their daughter as a superhero. My big logistical question is, once they get up there to Saber, who knocked up Goose? Why is Goose laying all these eggs? Is that just mm. part of its alien biology is you can start laying eggs? You know, that one of the most beloved episodes of Star Trek, I've actually never seen it, <laughs> is that Tribble episode, which is considered a light one, right? You've never seen that episode? Wow. I've not seen most of the original run, Arnie. I haven't either, so, but yeah. Yeah, I'll be honest. I've maybe seen like three of the original Kirk episodes. Yeah, I've seen the movies. Oh my God. Wow, I've seen that episode so many times. Plus, I've seen the Deep Space Nine episode where they go back and interfere with that episode. There's more Tribbles? Yeah, there's more Tribbles. And then there's the animated episode, More Tribbles, More Trouble. <laughs> but my point is, usually that show is known for tackling the issues of the 60s. You know, we're going to get into racism and sexism and all this stuff. And then they have this lightweight episode where it's like, okay, we got cute little furballs that are overpopulating. And it just takes the tone off. And I think that's what they're telling us, right? That we start by seeing these gross little, like, they look like brains or something in the air vents. And we think, oh, my God. Well, it's Giger alien sacks, it feels like to me. Egg sacks. Yeah. Is it, yeah, is a biological weapon? Is someone doing this to us? Uh, yeah. Are they going to hatch monsters? That it ends up being cats floating around in space is just, again, a reveal about what this movie's aim truly is. Surprise, you thought you were going to get a space opera, and this is about cats. And the only way to evacuate the space station, because Darben has opened that hole, which caused the space station to have problems, they need to evacuate it, there's not enough escape pods because half of them are damaged in this disaster, so they're going to have the Fleur kittens eat everyone, and... They're playing Memories, and the first time I saw it, I'm like, why are they playing Memories? I don't understand what this song has to do with people. And then it hit me halfway through that this is from Cats. Yes! Yeah, that's, I mean, and it, just by the way, it's the Barbara Streisand version of this, not the Patti LuPone. <laughs> but I just kept thinking, this scene would work if James Gunn directed it, because it would have more humor and more grossness. James Gunn would push this envelope. The scene as it's done here feels like 
Nia DaCosta is trying to do James Gunn and just not hitting that mark. Tell me why she's not hitting it. She's obviously trying. I honestly think that the musical choice, while it is from Cats, is anachronistic to the point of robbing the scene of its horror. This is the best scene in the movie. This is the best scene in the whole movie is watching cats eat people and then floating in zero gravity. (laughs) While the soundtrack for Cats plays. Yeah, while Barbara Streisand sings Memory. Yeah, this is straight out of James Gunn or Taika Waititi would have done this in one of their films. Yes, and they wouldn't have done it any better or different. This is exactly how they do it. No, this feels about on par. This is the hardest I've been laughing since that opening switch scene where I had a lot of fun in that. I've had a few chuckles, but like this scene, I'm like, oh, I wish the movie was just more of this, this Looney Tunes absurdity. I would have been having so much more fun than trying to piece together backstories that they've cut out of the film and try to find emotions that they want me to feel like, yeah, just make me laugh at kittens eating people. I'll agree with you both. I'll agree that this is the second best scene in the film. I still think the best scene is that first fight at 20 minutes where they're all swapping places. I agree. But this is the second best scene in the film. Kittens floating in zero G is cute. And yeah, I I think they're going for James Gunn. And I do like the breezy nature of this where you've got the voiceover on the PA system saying, let the Fleur Kitten eat you. Do yes. not run from the Fleur Kitten. And the three Marvels show up. And I kind of like Monica in this moment where she's like, I just can't. And she walks away from this. And maybe she literally can't. Maybe she had another contractual obligation to film a different movie. But listening to you guys, I hear I understand why the why this movie is cut the way it is. The the executives can't figure out who they need to please. Some people want more cats floating in space, and some people want more clarity, more drama, more of a traditional good and evil. I just want a consistent tone. I mean, the the consequence of trying to please everyone is to have inconsistent tone. I don't know. In the end, I think comedy wins. In the end, absurdity wins. This is a a Marvel movie that is going to, to dare you to try and pay attention to its intricacies by the end of it. Who cares? The cats are floating, and they're all heading to Earth. I don't even really know why they're evacuating to Earth, because that's the planet that's going to lose its sun. They didn't know they were coming for the sun. It's just a surge has disabled the space station, so they got to evacuate before it, I don't know, falls towards Earth. Okay, whatever. Again, like, what do I care? And the space station (laughs) never does fall towards Earth. It's completely fine later on, so... Yeah, there was no danger being there. Yeah, they could have just stayed there, except we want to see the cats eat people, and AMC wants to sell $200 worth of eggs. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) And now we're at the climax of the film, which we're in a Marvel movie that's going to be a big battle against Darban, and she has opened that portal, which is starting to suck the sun away, which, to my knowledge, would then give Hala two suns, one of which is dying, and that would probably cause a gravitational anomaly that would destroy the planet. I'm not going to go that deep into it. It's just silly to me. (laughs) Or the sun's flare can go into their sun, and now the sun is healed. That's what I figured. That's fine with me. I don't need to poke this anymore. You're jump-starting their sun with our sun. It's no fun to poke at something that's poking itself. 
is the way I look at it. If it has a sense of humor about how dumb it is, then who am I to call it out on it? But this film doesn't have a sense of humor about how dumb it is. They're not commenting on how silly this plot is. You don't think so? Cats flying around? No. That has nothing to do with the sun being a silly plot as well. Like, just because you have one silly scene doesn't mean you get a, a gimme for the rest. I hear you saying the tone is inconsistent, but I found this movie largely to be a lark in which nothing really matters. I mean, nothing does matter. I don't think it's intentional, though. Techno speak is meant to give explanations for things that just happen because it would be funny to watch them happen. I guess that's where we're different. I, I, I feel like there's definitely humor in this. That's funny. That's working. But I don't think that was the ends of this film. They, they wanted to make a more traditional Marvel film and it got compromised for whatever reasons, a whole variety of reasons. And so, yeah, this is not commentary on how silly the plot is. I mean, it's what it's become. It'll be interesting to see a first cut of this movie. I agree. It probably looked very different and there was probably a lot more substance to it all. And... Yeah, that's not what I'm left with. What I'm left with here in the end, I guess it's a little impactful that 16-year-old Kamala is under that hammer for a second. It's hurting her. Yeah, that was suspenseful. She feels the pain. Yeah, you feel for her, and then she loses that bangle. What's going to happen? I don't know. Anybody got any theories? What happened? The power is too much for Darben, and Darben had said earlier, it is worth my life if I can save Hala. So she is perfectly fine sacrificing herself to restart that sun, but she uses these two bands to open a bigger hole in time and space so that you're not just taking a solar flare. I think you're going to take the whole sun and Darben. She's not a bad enough person where we want one of the Marvels to kill her, but it's a Marvel movie, so we have to kill her. So she's just going to kill herself by using both bangles. I'll be honest. I really have no idea what happened in this climax. Mm -mm. Yeah, she gets sucked into a hole or something, and then Monica's got to stitch that hole up. Sure, why not? And both bangles can be worn by the teenager, but because she's not holding the hammer, it's not too much for her. Well, we were told she's actually a mutant, so maybe her mutant powers let her handle both of those bangles. That's what they said at the end of her tv series yeah that's what i took it as is she's a mutant the power doesn't come from her bangle the bangle has power but her light powers come from her being a mutant all right but you got to remember like tv shows and all that to get that yeah yeah <laughs> again the fine details good on you guys for trying and i can understand how frustrating it would be to be holding all those details and trying to fit them into slots here i ain't doing it i'm only doing it because i'm on this show and i have to otherwise i would have thrown my arms up and just walked away from this film and never thought about it again you probably wouldn't have gone right jacob <laughs> no i would have waited for it to be on disney plus like so many others yeah and i think you can throw your arms up and not walk away i think you can also just sit back and be like all right whatever what else you got you know, we've had the jumping around. We've had the... Now they're going to go for the dramatic. Now we have Monica breaking up the group. You know, she had to go sacrifice herself for very contrived reasons. She had to be the one on the other side of the hole to repair it. And now she lives in an alternative reality. And we can't have the Marvels again. I don't know why she couldn't fix the Terran space from our side. No, there's no good reason. Okay. <laughs> no, there isn't. <laughs> Roll out. Because we want tragedy. Yeah. We, we want to break this team up. It's over. And she says it's from another reality. I feel really bad for Teona Paris because she is given the unenviable task of having the superpower to be able to explain everything that's happening. She gets the worst dialogue in this movie, the most technobabble, the most exposition about entanglement and alternate realities and all of this. She's not given a whole lot of fun. 
she's given a whole lot of doldrums. She's like chief engineer in Star Trek as compared to somebody who gets to go on the away missions. And she goes on the other side, and we will see her again in the credit scene, but not until then. And Carol is very upset. We get to see her. She flew out there trying to save Monica and doesn't get there in time. And she's just going to float in space depressed for about five, ten seconds. Well, she's going to go back and honor the promise. We will see again. The team is broken up. They want to leave us on the idea that it will be different as we go forward. There will be no more Marvels. Carol goes back to Hala and presumably restarts the sun. And then again, I, I think... I heard you say, why does she move into that Louisiana house? I think she has a lot of hope that Monica will come home to her, that she wants to be there, that she's planting roots. She's not going to be lost in space anymore. She cares about Earth, and this is her home. Yeah, that's the big thing. It's symbolic that she is now returning after she stayed away from Earth for so long for reasons I still don't understand even after this film. But yeah, now this is the symbolic return. Even though Monica's not there, she's with her in spirit. And Kamala, I, I feel like this scene should have been at the very end. Yes. <laughs> and then they just decided, I don't know what, that just to put some cats mewing and slurping at the end and put this end stinger right before the credits start. Kamala is going to do her best Sam Jackson and try to recruit all the kids for a kids Avenger team. Yeah, she drops that Ant-Man has a daughter, so we can imagine this. And it's been long theorized a young Avengers film is in the works, or maybe a TV series where you bring all of these younger versions of the characters together. I got excited to see Haley Steinfeld. Again, you're taking my two favorite Marvel TV shows here and bringing them together. So, and while she only has a few seconds on screen, Haley Steinfeld has enough charisma as Kate Bishop with that little smirk and she's like i'm not really a kid i'm 23 years old <laughs> but she's willing to join yeah that's they can make comedy work here that maybe i, I we got to get to that young avengers thing or whatever they're planning here because Volani as kamala and seinfeld as hawkeye kate bishop like i like this chemistry this is a very short scene but i'm laughing at that i'm actually 23 line like i like the performance as she's trying to deliver these lines like nick fury like i wish the film was more like this i think the film is like this but i what i'm hearing you both say is kamala is the bright spot of all of this and we don't need the other two for sure and a little kamala goes a long way though i almost feel like there's too much kamala in the movie not enough for me i feel like around the two-thirds point i am starting to tire a little bit of her energy but she is the best part of the movie other than perhaps a flirkin i can't imagine what the movie would be without her how about that if it had just been carol and monica no way yeah you would not have had the movie again the movie is in the effervescence of youth and yeah th that they're starting a kid avengers team whatever uh we'll see I'm not super jazzed by that. What else would be on that? Thunder, Love and Thunder or whatever. Thor's Kid. Yeah. No, we got Hulk. We got Scar from that She-Hulk series. 
Oh, God. That's right. Okay. <laughs> that really bad CGI Hulk. That's not She-Hulk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you're right. They built it. We'll see. I'm, I'm feeling Disney Plus on that. That doesn't feel like a movie, but we'll see. Yeah, I agree. But what does feel like a movie is the <laughs> X-Men. And people have been wondering for a long time, and it got confirmed. This is a really powerful mid credit sequence. This was the only time, both nights that I saw this movie, that there was an audience reaction. Oh yeah, the audience got excited. The first night in IMAX, somebody in the audience just screamed, Hell yes! When Beast showed up. The second night, there were just murmurs of approval in the audience. And me, I'm looking at this like, this is some bad She-Hulk CGI stuff. Did they animate this yesterday? What is with Beast looking like the Pink Panther walking in here? It is motion capture. Yeah, they didn't put that prosthetic on Kelsey Grammer. But they brought back Kelsey Grammer. Again, I thought they were rebooting the universe. This sends the signal. And the fact that Hugh Jackman is going to be in Deadpool 3 next year, that they are not forgetting what Fox did. That they feel tied to it and whatever we're going to see. But it's an alternate universe. But they did bring back Patrick Stewart for Multiverse of Madness, too. In some multiverse, this all took place. And yeah, Kelsey Grammer must think it's 20 years ago. He's filming Frasier. He's playing Beast. <laughs> yeah, he was even in one of those expendable movies. Yeah, I agree. He's having a real renaissance. That I don't want. <laughs> but this is a different multiverse or different universe than that one from Doctor Strange. I believe so. Because Monica's mom is in both of these. So playing different characters. And Kelsey Grammer is going to reference Charles. And Charles was killed by Wanda in that one universe. So, but yes, we have Maria here. Monica's all like, mom, you're back. And Maria's like, who the hell are you? <laughs> I thought that was another X-Men, like a shapeshifter one, because she didn't know who she was, but maybe not. I don't know. No, she just never had a daughter in this universe. She's Binary, who is a Captain Marvel character, but oh boy, this costume. I hope we don't spend a lot of time in this universe, because if, if this is the costuming, that Binary outfit is, oh boy. Binary? Like, I didn't understand. This is an established character from the comics that Monica became... Binary? No, Carol Danvers' cosmic powers become a person, and that's binary in the comic. Yeah, because the whole movie, they've joked about what do we call Monica. Yeah. She's going to become binary? I don't think she's going to be binary. I think Monica's her own thing. And Maria is binary. They call her binary. All right. I'm not getting what they're telling me about these two. It's deep nerd stuff, Stuart. Don't worry about it. I'm not. I haven't worried about it at all. Maria Rambo was Captain Marvel, too, right? For a period yes. with the white outfit and the wings, kind of like what Maria wears in this. And so she is her own Captain Marvel character, while Captain Marvel was Ms. Marvel before Kamala Khan was Ms. Marvel. And I just realized comic continuity is really <laughs> confusing. But yeah, I don't want the same X-Men. I wanted a reboot of X-Men. I don't want Kelsey Grammer. I don't want Patrick Stewart. I want a reboot, and I guess it's up for Deadpool to straighten all this out next year. Yeah, that's what I'm guessing. But again, some some in the Marvel Universe might want to wipe away what other people did with their stuff, and I think it's significant that the contributions of the last 20 years by Brian Singer and everyone else are not going to be forgotten. They're going to help shape what the X-Men looks like going forward in the MCU. I guess. I don't even know that they know what the hell they're doing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> especially with all the changing release dates that we'll talk about in a minute. But before we get to that, Jacob Stewart, do you recommend the Marvels? Jacob. 
I want to reiterate, like, what a benefit it is that this is just 100 minutes long. Like, I don't know. Like, I try to think about all my complaints that I have with this cut. Like, I don't get a lot of the emotional impact. Would I have got that with a two-hour cut? I don't know. That Like, that's the thing. I just, I don't trust the brand enough to even pay off for a two-and-a-half, two-hour version of this to work. So I'm fine taking a 100-minute version that that's much lighter. I don't understand a lot of stuff that's going on. I have some fun times, though. Like, that opening switch scene, the kitten scene, the the end teaser with the young Avengers with Kamala acting like Nick Fury. Like those are things I could grab onto and say, yeah, I laughed. I was having a good time. The rest of this film though, I spent like confused trying to figure out backstory. The fact that I thought that AI being destroyed was the climax of the original Captain Marvel. And wow, that wasn't like, they really shoved a lot in here. Of course it's a mess when you're going to cut out stuff just to trim it down to appease the most people. But this really feels like different movies jumbled together. Yeah, broad comedies and then all the stuff with Monica and Carol, like I just, I don't care about because I don't get enough there to grasp onto. So I kind of just throw that out and move on. So there's definitely problems here, but I ended up enjoying myself a lot more than when I saw that initial trailer where I'm like, oh boy, what are we getting into with this? As Stuart keeps calling it, Freaky Friday movie. But yeah, it's light but it's also like, I don't know, as an even a hundred minute film, it wasn't something I enjoyed. I spent a lot of confused time in this, just trying to picture backstories and motivations. What is Dar Ben doing? Why is she nice one second and then sucking your air away the next? There's something here. Like, I, I think your little children will like this one. This, this feels like a Disney movie if they got a, a Marvel property. That's the best thing I could say for this. Like, if Disney was making a tween Marvel film, like, I think this is it. It's got Kamala. I liked her, but I don't know. Maybe it's a recommend because it's so light and fluffy and you can just throw it out if you don't like it. For me, I just had those problems where I, you could have emotional comedies. I think of Plane Trains and Automobiles or Groundhog Day where, yes, they're uproariously funny comedies, but they have some significant emotional scenes that, that kind of just make you remember that. This, I'll forget. So it's a week not recommend, but yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll say what a lot of people are saying in, in the Marvel fandom. Wait for it to hit Disney Plus, I guess. But yeah, I'm going to say not recommend. It's a sequel to seven movies that isn't going to satisfy any of those movies it's trying to be a sequel to. So move on. Stuart. Yeah, I heard a lot in that, and I agree with some of it for sure, <laughs> uh, largely with the idea that young people are going to respond to this. I'm actually going to predict this might actually be the movie to make your 14-year-old put down their phone because it <laughs> replicates so perfectly their browser history. Everything that they would normally be doing, like, okay, cat memes, TikTok challenges... <laughs> Dances, yeah. Apocalyptic destruction, <laughs> Disney dances, all in a big jumble. This is how they're experiencing cinematic entertainment. It's like the Marvels ripped open a hole in the future, and I can see a time when there's going to be no difference between memes and motion pictures. Like, this is what movies will look like in the future. They will be a jumble of different experiences that, yeah, just feels like uh, web surfing for 90 minutes. And there's a talent to that. You know, I think everything all at once was a great dramatization of that feeling and of that experience. But it had some substance that this movie just decides it doesn't want to deal with. I, of course, am left wondering, can I has a cheeseburger? Is there something <laughs> weighty here for me? Just please give me a kernel of something that feels like plot. Because I admit, like, you know, it's cute and pretty. What happens when we peel away the stickers, 
the glitter and all of that. Well, you can do it if you want. I mean, I was like, well, is Carol's trap like kind of like the Iraq war and how she got <laughs> stuck in this space and tried to find the allegories? You can go there if you want. The grief, the characters trying to process the loss, the, the lesbian subtext. You know, if that's your thing, you can do a lot of work to peel away all that's really good about the Marvels and get a kind of nothing experience. Or you could just look at it on its face and say... I'm having a sleepover with three fun chicks and I'm slightly more entertained. I'm finding the experience slightly less clumsy than Barbie. I, we didn't cover Barbie. Perhaps one day we will. I thought that movie was also a messy jumble of feminism and fun that kind of half worked. I laughed a lot more in that. <laughs> Did you? I, yes. I can't say that's true. I had about a, about the same experience. I will say it's beating DC. I feel like Harley Quinn. Try to have this experience and didn't quite get there. It's cute. And look, if you're telling me the best thing about a movie is that it's cute, it's not a movie that was made for me, but I do think some are going to like it. And I didn't mind it, partly because of the runtime, partly because it just announced so often that it was frivolous. I didn't have to work too hard to ride the ride. So I'm going to say mild recommend, Jacob. I hear why you could credibly say, don't go with this mess. But I went with the mess. And this movie is a mess. This movie is a shambles when it comes to plot. And I am a big plot person when it comes to movies. This movie doesn't pass muster. It really doesn't. When I walked out of this movie both times, I was shaking my head. Like, how does this make sense? What was some of the character motivations? Where were some of the reasons for things to happen? I was frustrated by a lot of this experience after watching the movie and reflecting on the movie. But while watching the movie, it was quick and breezy, and I was having a good time. I had a lot of questions the first time I saw the movie. I'm really glad I saw it twice, because, like, why does Kamala get sucked into this entanglement? Well, they make her band glow, so it's something to do with that piece of jewelry. And what happened to Aladna? Was that ever explained? No. I'm glad to see on two viewings I didn't miss it the first time. We have no idea what happened to Aladna, which is... An unforgivable thing to do. An entire planet is being destroyed and we're never going to confirm or deny it. We're just going to forget it. That is truly a mess. I'll always remember the musical. That's it. <laughs> yeah. And I will not be buying the doll, but I'm sure they're going to make the doll. I don't collect dolls. What can I say? The Prince Yan doll, you mean? Or like the her in the dress? No, they're going to make the Brie Larson Captain Marvel in the dress. I'm sure of it. Yeah, sure. You know, next year at Comic-Con, you're going to see women in those dresses. But I had a good time while watching it. I enjoyed the fact that the girls bonded while playing Double Dutch. You know, it's kind of typical, but it was kind of fun. Here's what I'm left with, is I had a good time watching this, but would I have had a good time if this wasn't a Marvel movie? Because I think if this wasn't a Marvel movie, this would be a clear not recommend. And that's hard for me because I did have a good time watching this. I do like Brie Larson in this movie. I think it's her best performance as Captain Marvel. I do like Kamala Khan as a character a lot. I think she brings a lot of that charisma from the TV series. And so I'm going to admit my bias. I am a Marvel fan. And if this was 
a standalone superhero movie and not part of a huge interconnected universe where I know these characters, I probably would red arrow it. But I had a fun enough time that I'm going to eke it over to a very weak green arrow. But it's still one of the most disorganized and unsatisfying Marvel films. The only one I've really red arrowed is Eternals. And that's what I had to ask myself is, is this going to be in the same category as Eternals as the second one I poo poo? And I just couldn't do that because I had too fun a time to do that with this. But this film is very flawed. So am I understanding you correctly in saying it's the second worst MCU movie? No, Thor The Dark World is still number two for me. That one was really not very good. This one probably comes in third. Okay, but it's at the it's at the bottom. And to me, I kind of, you know, it's hard to rank at this point, but it's kind of in the middle. I feel like it's better than like a really drab movie like Black Widow. Like I, I kind of put it lesser than Captain Marvel but maybe a little better than Ultron. And I put it around like with Ant-Man because those are comedic superhero films where I just laugh a lot more. And that's why I've recommended those ones because the, the laugh ratio is higher than this one. But it's it's about on par with Quantumania, probably. I think it might be a little better. I don't know. Eh, you're right, on par. But what we think about it is almost secondary to what the box office thinks about it. And while we were recording, the updated weekend estimates have come out. This just did. <laughs> $47 for the weekend. Ouch, ouch, ouch. Lower than The Incredible Hulk. Ouch. You know what? I'm not going to crow, I told you so. But Artie, I did tell you so. Yeah, not adjusted for inflation. Incredible Hulk opened at 55.5 million, and this is estimated 47 million to 52 million on that $275 million budget. Whether I think this film doesn't deserve to be a flop, but I think it may be written down as a flop. Marvel Studios' first flop? Yeah, I mean, it's a cautionary tale. And I think it does send a strong signal that what people are wanting is not frivolousness. At this point, let's get it together, right? Tell us where we're going. Give us a more concise team facing some, you know, several movies spanning plot line, if it's Kang, if it's something else. But uh, the fact that it, they got too big, right? And this movie is trying to mop up the mess of seven other movies just goes to show that audiences don't have the patience for that. Well, and I think a big problem is budgets. Like when every movie you make has to make a billion dollars to be profitable, that is a bad business plan. Blumhouse gets it right. Spend two million and make 50 million. Like they're much more profitable. I think that that's the story here. Yeah, do a frivolous comedy, but do it for a frivolous comedy budget. I will say I appreciated this looking better than the Disney Plus shows, though. And part of the appeal is that it, you know, it was more convincing in its action and all of its moments than Ms. Marvel. I'll agree with that, except for Beast. I called out Beast, but I should say this film looks good. I just feel like Beast was rushed. And I don't feel like I got $230 million, whatever this budget is, versus whatever the budget is for a TV show better. Like, I don't feel like that difference was made up here. Keep in mind, Secret Invasion cost $225 million. <laughs> yeah, but it's also three times longer than this. <laughs> Well, we still got a lot of Marvel coming our way. I was looking at 2024, and there's a ton. A lot less. They moved three movies out of 2024, and I, I believe this is a knee-jerk reaction to the fact that the Marvels was projected to not do well. They moved Captain America. They moved 
Blade, which I actually don't think is ever coming. We're <laughs> only getting one MCU movie next year, and that hasn't happened. Take away COVID. 2020 doesn't count. We haven't had just one Marvel movie since Endgame. No, even Endgame, we had Spider-Man. We haven't had one Marvel movie since Iron Man 2. I mean, at this point, I feel like they wiped the slate so they could hurry and get X-Men movies out. That's what I feel like is going to save this Marvel Universe is an X-Men film. That's the most excited people got during this viewing. Like, just get there already, Disney. I agree. Yeah, I think that's, yes, they're taking this time to regroup on their main movies, but there's still a lot of Marvel. I mean, I hear you're saying there's official MCU and non, but already... Loki is unspooling right now. We'll get to it sometime next year. Madam Web in three months, supposedly. That's not coming. That's not a real thing that's going to happen. I refuse <laughs> to believe Madam Web is a thing. I love your act of denial. I, you will all the way to the theater be screaming, this is not real. I won't be at the theater because it's never coming out. <laughs> it's not part of the MCU, though, so that doesn't count. It is part of the MCU now. It all is after No Way Home. <laughs> Yes. Venom 3 is happening. Uh, they've got Echo, God bless us. Don't we get a Craven movie next year, too? Craven, Deadpool. Yeah, I think there's a lot. But for the MCU, we got Echo, Deadpool, and Agatha. That is a light Marvel year. I think they are reacting to the glut and the oversaturation of MCU product. Disney is pulling back and pushing stuff into 2025, 2026. And it honestly, I know they've shot Captain America Brave New World, but rumor has it they're doing a lot of reshoots on that one too. So that's why they pushed it so far to February of 25. Yes, Sony is going to inundate us next year theoretically for Stewart's purposes he's going to marvel at least seven <laughs> times maybe eight if they can get the spider-verse done in time for christmas yeah that'll never happen <laughs> it could happen we are definitely getting loki deadpool craven echo and agatha and venom three and maybe we get the spider-verse and madam web that doesn't feel like a light load but I hear your point. Marvel, the MCU, is taking this box office fallout seriously and recognizes they need a clean house. Yeah, Disney is pulling back. The only drop they're giving us is Deadpool next year, which was impacted by the actor strike, but I guess is now back on track as Ryan Reynolds just posted a picture of Dogpool. I wonder if they have Headpool in that movie. They got Dogpool. That would be fun. Well, why don't we do something different? We're taking a break from superheroes. You want intricate plots? We just cover the usual suspects for November patrons. This Friday, we're going to the dark, gloomy world of David Fincher thrillers and see Michael Fassbender as a hitman, the killer. More comic books. Yeah, I guess you're right. That is a comic book, but a French comic book. Very different from Marvel. <laughs> yeah, very different. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever read a French comic. I look forward to hearing you guys. I know you're both reading the comic. I look forward to hearing you talk about it. The Killer just premiered on Netflix this past Friday. And if you were a David Fincher donor back in the day when we did all the David Fincher thrillers as well as the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo series, you'll get that review. Or if you are a killer-level donor, this donation drive, or a $50 patron, you'll be getting the killer shows this Friday coming up. And yeah, if you're a $10 or more patron on Apple, Spotify, Patreon, or Podbean, the usual suspects last week, last Friday, hopefully you heard that show. 
I think it's a great show and one that I think our listeners will enjoy hearing. Yep, and if you're wondering what's to know what's for free Tuesday, well, Thanksgiving's next week, so we're not going to disappoint Eli Roth. He's had to wait almost 20 years to turn that joke trailer from Grindhouse into a real movie. And so we get a killer pilgrim slasher next Tuesday for you. There's my Madam Web. I just can't really believe Thanksgiving is coming out after so long. It's like, I know it's coming out this Friday, but I just can't believe it's coming out. I haven't even seen the trailer. I like literally, it's just, it's a weird experience of like, I'm going hoping that something is going to be projected in front of me, but I have not seen anything about it. There's definitely a trailer. I've seen it a few times. Okay. I mean, I saw the trailer 20 years ago, but I haven't seen anything about what I'm about to watch. I've seen updated trailers. Okay, I'll take your word. So thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing. Stuart, Jacob, thank you for being Marvels on this episode. And we will be back to this series in 2024 when no Avengers Assemble! closet door okay i was in space oh so it broke itself no 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 no. see i disappeared so maybe captain marvel broke it what yes your friend captain marvel she was walking up and down our living room and now you come back waltzing in with no apologies Sorry, captain marvel was in our house is captain marvel pressuring you in any way thank you for listening to this episode in the now playing avengers retrospective series lucky for us we got the best seats in the house part of our Marvel Comics movie retrospective series. Your work has impressed a lot of people who are much smarter than I am. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We're adjourned. We're adjourned for the day. Okay. You've been a delight. Head to NowPlayingPodcast.com to hear reviews of all the Marvel Cinematic Universe films. From Iron Man to Guardians of the Galaxy to Endgame, we've reviewed every Marvel film at NowPlayingPodcast.com. Good luck keeping up. And while at our website, you can find reviews of other Marvel movies, including the Fox X-Men, Deadpool, Daredevil, and Fantastic Four films, New Line Cinema's Blade Trilogy, The Punisher movies, Sony's Spider-Man, Ghost Rider, and Venom films, and dozens more. I'm bringing the party to you. You can also find reviews of every DC Comics movie, plus hundreds of other movie reviews of series like A Nightmare on Elm Street, The Fast and the Furious, Ghostbusters, Jurassic Park, and more. Find over 1,000 in-depth movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. Therefore, what I'm saying, if I'm saying anything, is welcome back. Subscribe to Now Playing on your podcast app of choice and get an all-new movie review every single week. We're going to knock their socks off. Want even more Now Playing reviews? By being a Now Playing patron or donor, you can get two reviews each week. Is it too much of a problem to ask? Because I'm, I'm... Okay, okay. I really need your help here. Now Playing is an independent podcast without any sponsors or ads. We rely on listener support to keep our show going. You going to step up or not? Donate to our show, and as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. 
Supporters get perks including bonus podcasts every Friday. And you can even pick a movie for us to review and join us on the podcast. We need heroes. We need you. Find all the details at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. It's a small price to pay for salvation. You can also compare notes with us on Letterboxd. Go to letterboxd.com forward slash nowplaying to see what our hosts are watching when we're not recording podcasts. And follow Now Playing on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our YouTube channel. It's strange. Maybe. Who wants to judge? Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Well, multi-platform global operation. Associate produced by Jason Latham. He's pretty good at that, right? Now Playing is edited by Heath and Arnie. Now might be a really good time for you to get angry. That's my secret, cat. I'm always angry. Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. Are you making your voice deeper? No. <gasps> you just did it again. entertaining the guy. This is my voice. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the views of Enganza Media Incorporated. Just stick to the official statement and soon this will all be behind you. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created the film analyzed herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. You left out some important information, but that is the gist of it. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of and may not be used without the express written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. On behalf of the Time Variance Authority, I hereby arrest you for crimes against the sacred timeline. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2023, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Hey, fellas. Hey, wait, where are you going? I've got so many more stories to tell. Because there is this moment of... I keep wanting to call her Ben-Hur. Darbin. <laughs> because there's this moment of Darbin. Yeah, they could have just stayed there, except we want to see the cats eat people, and AMC wants to sell $200 worth of eggs. <laughs> mm, yeah, that's interesting. I did not see any eggs at my... I, I have to go look next time I'm there at the concession to see if they've sold any. I only bought three. <laughs> <laughs> only. Did you get all different cats, or do you got to like swap on eBay now? I haven't opened them yet. What? I don't want to break the seal. They're mint in package. It's got to be mint in package. <laughs> oh, all right. Keep its value. If they're, it's Schrodinger's Fleur Kitten. <laughs> <laughs> it's both the gold chase version and not the gold chase version at once. Something tells me these toys won't be as worth as much as some of the Marvel product. <laughs> I only bought three because I'm expecting them to go on clearance. And we will be back to this series in 2024 when no Avengers Assemble! <laughs> when Madam Web comes to town! <laughs> <laughs>